0: And we're going to finish up the parables that are in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew in the brief message that I have for you tonight. Now, Matthew chapter 13, seven parables in it, and we've dealt with the first six, and we'll deal with the seventh tonight. I want to say to you before I read the scripture that you and I ought to know. What the Lord's talking about in this parable. It is of tremendous importance. It has to do with people being saved. It has to do with people who make a profession and are not saved. And the parable tonight has to do with people who are going to hell and people who are going to suffer throughout all eternity separated from God. I'm going to mention to you. Somewhere in the message tonight, some of the remarks that great people of God have made about this parable in ages gone by, some hundreds of years ago. So I want us to notice carefully the reading of God's Word. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I as the Lord's people had an idea of what's God doing in the world? What is God doing? Uh, Would you know the answer to that? If someone were to say to you tonight, What's the Lord doing in the world? I think the Bible gives us the answer. The Lord is calling out a people for His name. The Lord is forming a bride for the Lord Jesus when He comes. And that bride is going to be presented to Him. But in the midst of all of that, is what the bible speaks of as the work of the kingdom of heaven in which there's both good and bad as we've already seen in these parables now let's see for a few moments tonight the lord helping us the teaching of what is called the parable of the drag net that is the parable of the great fishing net in verse 47 again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind. Now I've underscored some expressions, you might or might not want to do it, as we read through it. Gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore, and sat down, and gathered the good in the vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. I've underscored that expression in my Bible. It's found seven times in the book of Matthew. The end of the world. And we'll talk about it a little bit tonight. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. And shall cast them... Into the furnace of fire there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time tonight on things that were discussed in the other parables. But here, this parable places before us two tremendously important things. First of all, it reminds us there's a coming end to the world. Now, I know Bible students talk about the fact that the expression, the end of the world, as it's found in the book of Matthew seven times, refers to the end of the age. And I've heard people argue about the difference between the end of the age and the end of the world. But let me tell you, friend, if I understand my Bible correctly, when this age ends, this age of grace this age of the church, this age that will end when the Lord Jesus comes again. The world is virtually at an end. For immediately following the end of the age comes the judgment of God as described in the book of Revelation upon the world. And the world is virtually at an end. There is another tremendous emphasis on in this parable, and I want you to think about it tonight, and I would to God that the Lord could literally burn this truth in our hearts. Not only does this parable give great emphasis to the end of the world, but it gives great emphasis to the separation that will take place at the end of the age or the end of the world When the Lord comes. This parable deals with the separation of sinners. That's why some people have looked at this parable in days gone by. As bringing forth some of the most awesome truth you find in the Bible. One of the great church fathers called Christendom said this parable of the dragnet is a terrible parable. He meant by that it brought forth some of the most awesome truths that you find in all the Word of God. I think without a doubt, he was talking about the suffering of the unsaved throughout all eternity. Another man of years gone by, Gregory the Great, said, This parable is rather to be trembled at, than to be expounded. Now you think of it, some Christians in ages gone by have read this great parable and they've said it is rather to be trembled at, more to be trembled at than to be expounded or explained. Now the Lord talks about the end of the world. In Matthew chapter 24, and verses 40 through 41, you read of the great prophetical sermon, greatest sermon on prophecy that Jesus ever preached. He said to the disciples, see, see you not all these things? And he pointed to the great and beautiful temple. He said the day will come when there'll not be one stone left upon another. Now if you'd see one of those stones, you'd, you'd see, how unbelievable that expression would be to some people. There'll not be one stone left on another. I've had the privilege to see some of those stones. They're 42 feet one way, 45 feet one way. They are 22 feet in another measurement, and 15 feet in another. They are huge. And the Lord one day looked at this building, this magnificent temple, where God had been worshiped all these, all these many years. And Jesus said, The day's coming when not one of these stones will be left upon another. The disciples were astounded, and they asked Jesus some questions. They said to Jesus, When shall these things be? When will these stones be toppled and this great building that was seven years in building be destroyed? And these great stones weighing thousands of tons, when will this thing be when this temple will be destroyed? They said also to Jesus, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be the sign of the end of the age? And the Lord in the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew speaks on the subject of the signs that indicate the ends of the age, or the end of the world. So here is a parable that is applicable to the end of the world and the separation of sinners. People who do not really know the Lord. Now there are five things in the parable I would like for us to look at very quickly. First of all, uh, there is the sea. Then there are the fishermen. Then there are, uh, there are the fish. And then there are the angels in this parable. So let's see them tonight. First of all, I should say, There is the net. Here the Lord gives a picture of a great net. Many people call this parable the parable of the drag net because the picture is of many people casting a great net into the sea and drawing this great net to shore in which there are many different kinds of fish. The Lord says, now, dragnet says something to me. You know, this is talking about fishing. This is talking about something Jesus talked about. Why, Jesus said to people when he'd get them saved, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus chose four fishermen out of their daily occupation and said to them, you will know you will henceforth not fish for fish, but you fish for men. And this great dragnet speaks of the preaching of the gospel, the casting of the net into the sea to get people saved. Now when the gospel is preached, as all the other parables have borne out, there are some folks who profess to be saved. But are not really saved. So in this great drag net. There was fish both good and bad. This is a picture not of the church. But of the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to notice that a net is to catch something with. That's what it's for. And you know the Lord has given to the Christian. A net to catch souls with. That net is the gospel of Christ. The word of God. He's given us a net to catch people with. Uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek." Greek. And I say unto you tonight, a church that's not putting its net... In the water is a church that's not obeying the Lord. And God blesses a church to the extent that that church puts its net in the water in order to win people to Jesus Christ. I read a very interesting thing about fishing with a net in the time of Jesus that suggests something to me. I read in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. Well, the Lord, when he saw Zebedee and his sons who were fishermen, the Bible says they were mending their net. Now, that net that they used to catch fish, there was something wrong with it. And the Bible says they were mending their nets. You know, I believe with all of my heart, if God tonight could have his way, If God tonight could speak to the hearts of saved people like you and I, there'd be many a Christian who'd say, My net needs mending. I'm not catching anyone. I'm not reaching anyone. There's something wrong and my net needs mending. And I want to say to you tonight, there is nothing more on the heart of God tonight than casting the net into the sea to reach people. Now this something requires the Lord's direction. You know, a lot of people think they have uh, various ideas about how to reach people, and how to uh, evangelize the world. But one thing I know, that this fishing must be done on the direction of the Lord. You see, one day the Lord saw the disciples fishing, Luke chapter 5. And um, he said to them, cast your, your nets on the other side of the boat. And they said, why, we've fished all night and we haven't caught anything. The Lord said, but cast, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a great draught of fishes. Peter said, Lord, we've been we've been throwing the net into the sea, but we haven't been catching anything. But this is what he said. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will cast down the net. He he must have said now, uh, we, we we know more about fishing than Jesus does. And we've been putting these nets in the sea all night. We haven't caught anything, but I want to please him. So at the bidding of Jesus, he let down one net, not all the nets. He let down one net at the command and the direction of the Lord Jesus. And when he did, the Bible said, It was so full of great fishes that they could hardly bring it to land. And then Peter fell down at uh, the feet of Jesus and said, Oh, be merciful unto me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said to him, From henceforth you will catch fish, catch men and not fish. What I'm saying to you tonight, that souls can only be one God's way. They're not two ways. Only God's way to win souls. Now the Lord says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Bible says daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You ever hear folks say, well, what's wrong with the church? And then they discuss everything. They nearly always start with the preacher. I guess that's not natural. I guess to tell you the truth, I'd be a little bit disappointed if they didn't. But I, when... when When the folks start discussing, well, I wonder what's wrong with the church or the churches. They usually start with the preacher. I'm kind of complimented to tell you the truth. No use to lie to you about it. Then they get around, they get around to the choir. And they get around to the board of deacons. And they get around to the finances. And people talk about what's wrong with the church. I want to tell you tonight, There's only one thing that's wrong with this church that I know of. And that is that we ought to be casting our nets into the sea at the bidding of the Lord far more than we do. Oh, how many Christians never go fishing for Jesus? How many Christians never put their net in the sea so this net is a net? to catch something with and it speaks of us of our responsibility now notice jesus said the net of course was cast into the sea the sea in the bible and i don't have a great deal of time to to deal with it but the sea in the bible always speaks of the peoples and the nations the great millions of people in the human race. Even in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up dirt and mire. So the Bible says the sea represents these millions of people. Well over four billion people in the world to die, uh, tonight. Way over four billion people. The population doubles more rapidly than it ever has before. Do you know there are there are tribes of people into whose language the Word of God has never been translated? Do you know that there are tribes of people on the face of the earth that have never seen the face of of a Christian and never one time has heard the Word of God in spite of the fact the Lord has said to the church, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now the Lord's going to do it. The Lord's going to do it. You know, even after the Lord comes, there's going to be the greatest evangelistic movement after the coming of the Lord that there ever has been in the history of the world. That may surprise you tonight, but after the Lord comes and the church is caught up to be with the Lord in the air, a lot of folks say, well, after the Lord comes, no one's going to be saved. Well, that just simply isn't true. Now, I will say this. I believe with all my heart, and the Bible would seem to bear this out, if a person... Here is the word of God, and here is the gospel preached over and over again, and will not believe the gospel, and will not be saved when the Lord comes, I would think that their chance of being saved is over and over forever. For the Bible says men will know their comes for pain when God brings judgment on the world. But they will not repent. Nevertheless, when the Lord comes and takes His church up for the marriage feast, there's something great evangelistically going to happen on the earth. There's going to be 12,000 Jews out of all the 12 tribes. There's going to be 144,000 Jews that are going to preach the gospel of the kingdom and they're going to evangelize the world believe it or not the bible says that the people will be saved and they praise the lord and say for thou hast redeemed them uh, unto god by thy blood out of every kindred and of every tongue and every people and every nation but i want to tell you my friend in the meantime People are going to hell by the thousands and the millions tonight because Christians are not putting the net into the sea. The sea represents all of lost humanity. You see, it's up out of the sea that the Antichrist will come. sea represents the great mass of nations of the world who know not the Lord. So... The dragnet was cast into the sea. I've already mentioned that um, there are the fishermen. It takes fishermen to put the net into the sea and draw it to the shore. God, I believe, intends every Christian to be a fisherman. Now, in this net, uh, in this parable, the Lord said there were both good fish and bad fish. That's true of the kingdom of heaven. I'm repeating myself, so you'll always remember that in the kingdom of heaven, there are both saved and unsaved. The kingdom of heaven is Christendom, not the church and not heaven, but the kingdom of heaven Christendom on this earth in which there's both good and bad. I've had that experience, I was thinking the other day, you know, I thought I've had had won somebody to the Lord a good many times when really I hadn't. I thank God I've had the privilege to see people saved, serve the Lord, be true to the Bible, and win many others to Christ. But I've seen people I just thought for sure were saved. Like I was thinking the other day of a fellow, and I know not a soul in this in this audience ever knew this this man. He was about in his about his middle twenties. He was about as handsome a young fellow as you'll ever look at in your life. And someone directed him to me, probably thirty or thirty-five years ago, and um, he came to see me. He was down and out, fine-looking, stalwart, athletic-looking young man. I gave him the gospel, and it just looked like he just eaten it up. Just He couldn't wait. He wanted it even faster than I could give it to him. He said, I have no clothes. I have no place to stay. Well, this was in the days when um, double-breasted suits are coming back. That's the only reason I have on one. You know I wouldn't wear one if they weren't coming back. But this was in the days, the first days when people wore double-breasted suits. I said, now, I want you to come to church. I helped to get him a place to stay. He said, well, I don't have any clothes to wear. So I gave him one of my double-breasted suits. I gave him shirts and ties and everything that he needed to get dressed up. And um, he came to church a time or two. He called me one night, and he said, the place where I'm staying is on fire. It was a little inexpensive hotel downtown. I think you could sleep in it in that large area where many men could sleep. And uh, it cost about 25 cents per night to sleep there. He called me one night and said, the hotel's on fire. I said, well, you're out. He said, yes, but my suit's in there. So I got in my car and went down, not that I could rescue the suit. But he was standing outside watching the firemen. And uh, I said to him, You know, aren't you glad that the Lord has saved you from the fires of hell? He said, Yes, I am. But that night, as I talked to him, little did I know it, I never would lay eyes on him again. You know, there's a many a person who said, Oh, yes, I'd like to be a Christian. For well, what they want is some food for the stomach and some clothes for their back and a place to lay their head. But let me tell you, God knows the good from the bad. God knows the good fish from the bad fish. And in spite of the fact there are many, many who profess to know the Lord, who are never really saved, thank God for those. Who are genuinely born again. We're to be fishing all time. And the Lord knows who's saved and who's lost. And whether they're for real or not. Now I want you to notice the fish. The good speak of the saved. Not because the saved are saved because they're good. Nobody's saved because they're good. Now don't ever think you're saved because you're better than a sinner. You're not saved because you're better than a sinner. You're saved because as a sinner you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were born again. But the good fish in this instance speak of the saved people. The bad speak of lost people. doesn't say they were cast back into the sea and spared. It just says they were cast away. No doubt on the bank the Lord is inferring. But I want you to notice what happened to them. First of all, they're separated. God says in the end of the world, or the age, the unsaved are going to be separated from the saved. Oh, how much emphasis there is in the Bible on that. Think of the ten virgins. All of them held a lamp. All of them looked just about alike. But when the cry came, At the midnight hour, the bridegroom is coming. Five of them said, there's no oil in our lamps. And the Lord made a division. And the Lord made a separation. And five of them went in, and the door was closed. And five of them remained out. They were separated. All the emphasis on it in the Bible. The Lord speaks of the sheep and the goats. And the day when the Lord will say unto the sheep, Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. A day of separation. Think of something Jesus told. There is a parable of a rich man. There is a story of an actual rich man, not a parable. Because names are in it. It's a thing that actually took place. But Jesus said there was a rich man fared sumptuously every day. There was a beggar that lay in his gate full of sores. But one day, mind you, both of them died. But a separation took place. Bible says the rich man died and in hell lifted up his eyes being in torments. Lazarus died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. Let me tell you, friend, there's a separation day coming. And that ought to touch the hearts of people tonight. I've seen people saved because they thought of a separation day. I've told in this church of being able to win a man to the Lord in a veteran's hospital in Ohio many years ago. When he'd heard the Romans rode. By preacher after preacher. He had to explain to him how he could be saved over and over again. And one day I went with a man to explain it to him. And we didn't get to first base. And it broke my heart. And I went back to my room and, and prayed. And I got in a taxi cab and went out. And I said, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever know a Christian in your life? And he paused for a moment. When I was there before with another man cursing and swearing like you couldn't believe and wouldn't even listen or have a part when we prayed for his lost soul. And a man soon to die. But I said, have you ever known a Christian? He paused for a moment and he said, if I've ever, if there ever has been one, my mother was one. I've told you the story of this man. I said to him, where's your mother now? Said my mother's born in West Virginia. I said, Where is she today? Where is your mother right now? He paused again. He said, If there is a place called heaven, my mother's in heaven. Here's a man heard the word of God over and over and over, from preacher after preacher who'd been taken to see him. I said to him, Would you like to meet your mother in heaven? He said, more than anything in the world. And those deep sockets in his emaciated face began to fill with tears. And in a moment he prayed, God be merciful to me a sinner. Hear me tonight! There's a separation day coming! Oh, I think of my dear mother. My mother's no better than your mother, but she's my mother. And the dearest, sweetest mother a young man could ever have. My brother called today. Ms. Malone and I both talked to him. Very, very disconsolate and sad. My mother's taking a turn for the worse. And evidently my mother, I said to you, has been knocking on the door of heaven for the last several days. And looks like the Lord is just about to open the door and let her come on in. But I want to tell you something tonight. I thank God I'm going to meet my mother in heaven. I never had a father. My father lived to be nearly 94 years of age. He never saw me till I was six weeks old. My father was a drunkard and a gambler and a vagabond. And he broke my heart and my mother's heart. But one day, by nearly 30 years ago, I had the privilege to lead him to Christ. I thank God tonight. My Father is in heaven. And when I get there, I'm going to see my dear dad that came to know the Lord, thank God, before he died. Let me tell you, friend, there's going to be a separation. That's what the Lord said when the great net was thrown. And he spoke of it as um, uh, indicating the end of the world. And when the great net was drawn, some were taken, placed the vessels. In my father's house, many mansions. Others cast away. There is the separation of the wicked from the saved at the end of the age. You know, that's an interesting thing. At the Lord's first coming... And I'm sure you realize that the Lord's one coming is like a great drama in two acts. He comes for the church, seven years later comes back with the church. At the first coming, the second coming, at the first part of the second coming, He comes to take the good away from the bad. He comes to take the saved out of the world of the unsaved. When the trumpet blows and the rapture takes place, the Lord will take the good fish, the saved, away from the unsaved. But seven years later, He'll come back with that church, with His bride, and when He does then, He will take the wicked away from the Good are the saved, because He will put them in the bottomless pit and leave the saved to rule and to reign on this earth for a thousand years. There's a separation coming. Oh, am I speaking to someone tonight who has someone you love, dear to you? I would remind you as tenderly as I know how, there's a separation coming. Notice what the Lord said. He said, when they come there be gnashing of teeth. He's speaking of the suffering that there will be in hell. Gnashing of teeth. Somebody says, is, is, is the Bible literal when it says the fire never shall be quenched? Is the Bible speaking literally when the man said, I'm tormented in this flame? Well, let me say this to you. I believe the Bible is speaking literally, first of all, I believe that. I stood uh, near Naples, Italy once, uh, up on a, a mountain called, a place called Sulfatera. There was a boiling out of the earth, and I said barricades all around it. They said if someone would fall in it, there'd never never be any remains of them possibly ever be discovered I said to the man how hot is that liquid fire boiling out of the earth he said well over 800 degrees Fahrenheit any honest any honest scientist will tell you there's fire in the bowels of the earth and the Bible speaks of the gnashing of teeth when unsaved people shall be tormented in hell. I said some folks say, do you believe the Bible speaks literally? Let me say this to you. If it's a figure of speech, then the real thing is always worse than the figure of speech. I think it's literal. Literal fire. I'm tormented in these flames. The man said, Jesus talked about. Now, this gnashing of teeth speaks of real suffering. You know, there's something I often think about when God separates the unsaved. You know, like the man Jesus told about and Jesus said, Oh, send somebody back to earth. He said, I have five brothers still living. Send somebody back to earth to speak to my brothers. It was said to him, If they believe not Moses and the prophets, if they don't believe this Bible, they wouldn't believe if somebody arose from the dead and came back out of the bowels of the earth to talk to them. If they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither would they believe the one came to them from the dead. And here's a man that remembered the five brothers. And what did he remember? He might have remembered he was unsaved like them. He never thought of God. He never thought of their soul. He never thought of the fact. All six of us boys are going to hell. And now he's in hell. And memory torments him. As he says, I have five brothers. He felt a guilt over his unsaved brothers still living. I remember a man named Pete. I never really, I don't remember his last name. He came all oh, 42 years ago. In the little Castle Inn building, it used to be right here, where this church was born, where it started. He came and uh, one day uh, Pete raised his hand for prayer. And I waited on him back by the door. Of the little castle in building. The little auditorium. And I got him with a hand. I said Pete. You raised your hand for prayer. Would you like to be saved? And with a sad look on his face. He said no. I said Pete. Why would you say. You lifted your hand for prayer. Now you say no. I don't want to be saved. He said I, I just couldn't be saved. And oh, the look on his face, I can see it now. I said to Pete, Pete, why? Why do you say, I just don't want to be, I just can't be saved? I said, well, preacher, I was married about two years ago. And one day my wife said to me, Pete, you know, you and I ought to be in church. We ought to bring God into our home. We, you and I ought to really be saved. And he said, no, not now. When we're older and we've had a good time in life and had a lot of fun living this way, he said, maybe then, not now. But he said, preacher, I didn't know my wife was going to die. And one night she caught pneumonia. And very soon my wife was dead. And he looked at me and he said, preacher, my wife went to hell and he said if you think i'm going to get saved and go to heaven when i'm responsible for putting my wife in hell i don't agree with this but i'm telling you what he said he said no i cannot be saved because i sent my wife to hell and i've never laid eyes on him since oh my friends let me say to you when that separation day comes People will feel a guilt over souls they did not win to Jesus Christ. And that day is coming. And the gnashing of teeth speaks of real suffering, a memory, a guilt over souls that are lost. Let me quickly finish. The Lord said angels will come, separate the wicked from the saved. Now, I don't know why God's given that in the hands of angels. He does not put it in the hands of the fishermen. They threw the net that drew it to shore. They picked out at the actual fishing time the good fish from the bad. But the Lord said in the end of the world, angels will sever them. I got thinking about it. You know, angels, they don't make mistakes. You see, the Lord sends angels to Sodom. And said to those angels, get the saved out of Sodom and then I'm going to burn it up. And men from heaven came and they got locked in two girls of his. Only three Christians. And only three were taken out of the city of Sodom. Angels will know what they're doing. But well, when an angel went into the jail that night where Peter was, he didn't wake up a, an old godless Roman soldier chained and sleeping by his side. He knew, he knew the saved from the lost. He shook a man by the name Peter and said get up and follow me. And Peter got up and followed him to where a gate was locked. And the, the angel opened the gate. Listen, God will send angels at the end of the age to separate the saved from the lost. And angels will make no mistake. Oh, tonight that God would help us to be putting the net into the sea to win the lost. Shall we pray?